like to welcome you here to the Houghton Wesleyan Church on this lovely Sunday morning as the sun is just starting to burn off the coolness in the air. Please stand and join us as we sing praises to our God and Father together. We want to be close, close to your side, so heaven is real, and we will arise. We want to hear voices of angels above, singing as one, hallelujah,
praise. We come here to worship you and to proclaim your greatness, your love, your mercy, your truth, and to draw our hearts together as we worship. Be glorified in all that we do in this hour together today. We know that you're with us, and we uh, ask you to speak into our lives, and we pray this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting for those who are here in worship today.
Just a couple things to mention to you that are in your bulletin. Um, tonight at 5 o'clock, we'll be gathering back here for uh, some time of music. We have the, the kids' choir is going to sing a few songs, and uh, we'll give you a chance to pick your favorite hymns, and we'll sing those together. And if uh, we also opportunity to maybe share a little bit about what God's doing in our lives. So it's 5 o'clock tonight. We'll be here about an hour or so of, uh, of music and celebrating our great God. We are welcome this morning, we're privileged this morning to welcome uh, Dr. Joey Jennings, our district superintendent. He oversees the Wesleyan churches in western New York, and uh, we're excited to have him here today and look forward to hearing uh, his proclamation to us from the Word of God. We're going to ask the ushers to come and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. There in the newborn Christ There in the light of every sunrise There in the shadows of this life Your great grace There on the mountains
pray in all kinds of different ways and different postures, different places. This morning as we gather for prayer, if you would like to come and kneel at the altar rail and use this as your place of prayer, please come and join me. Father, as we gather today, we are reminded that you have promised to be with us. Not just in these moments where we gather in this place, but in every moment of life. As we go about the the responsibilities of our days, you are with us. As we interact with family and friends, you are with us. As we encounter difficult circumstances, you are with us. As we celebrate the joys of life, you are with us. We thank you. We thank you for your grace that impacts our lives in ways that I think often we don't even remember or know or see. But you've promised to be with us. You have promised your grace upon us. And we thank you and ask that you would make us continually more sensitive and more aware of your presence. Father, we come today with a variety of burdens and concerns in our hearts. We have burdens of of just the struggles of living, our work, our homes, our relationships. We pray that you will help us to be the people you want us to be. We we come today recognizing our our need for uh, the difficulties that come to us in life. We think this morning of people who are grieving. We pray especially for Mark Getson and his family at the death of his sister this week. We ask for your comforting presence upon them and upon all who are grieving. We pray for all who are struggling with health concerns. We pray for Bunny Austin and Mike Raybuck, for Jill Tyson and Bruce Brenneman, for Bev Rett and Mike Christ- Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Dick Gould, and for Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler, and for others who may be on our hearts and our minds today. And we ask for your healing grace upon each of them. Father, we continue to pray for our world. Our world is such great need. And we think of the people in Nepal who are continuing to recover from these earthquakes. And there's just so much. We pray, Father, that your spirit, your presence, your church, your people 
would be evident in the recovery process. We pray, Father, for the work of your kingdom around the world. And we think of the Georges working in Australia and ask that you would continue to bless them. And we pray that you would, you would use them to help people to know your loving grace in their lives. We pray for our brothers and sisters who face persecution. We think of Pastor Azar. We ask that you would watch over him and his family, and they have already faced some difficult circumstances. They continually live with threats. And yet, Lord, you are using them in powerful ways. We pray that their ministry will continue. We pray that you would protect them. We pray that you would give them courage and the assurance of your spirit. And we pray that their witness will bring about fruit for your kingdom. Change lives in the places where they live and serve. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. Thank you for all the ways in which you are at work in us and in this world. We offer all of our prayers in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who leaves us the motto for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Good morning. Just a reminder that uh, following the reading, uh, kids can be dismissed to Children's and Junior Church. Our scripture this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 17. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement, that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, 
We have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and sing with us.
may be seated. Good morning. It is always a delight to come back to the Houghton Church and uh, be with you in worship. And Amanda, love the time of worship that you led this morning. And Pastor West, it's always good to be with you. Let me begin by just thanking this church for its support. The, the Western New York District is 35 churches, and we are excited to see what God is doing in them. And this church is a key part of that. And I was just looking through the, the list of the pastoral staff. Wes serves on the district board administration as well as your senior pastor. Uh, John Cole is our youth director for the district as well as your youth director here at the church. Um, Cindy uh, Odin is, serves on the district board of ministerial development as does Ralph Kerr who also serves on the DBA, district board administration, and Steve Dunmar. So there's a lot of people in this church and that's just starting but there are many others that are that are serving actively in the district to, to network the different churches together and to see what we can do. The church exists not for itself, but for the community in which it, it exists. And you get that. You realize that it's not just to take care of the people that are already coming to Houghton Wesleyan Church, but to reach out to this community and the surrounding communities with the good news of the gospel. The district then exists in essence, to try to find where is it in Western New York, where is it in our region that we feel the Lord leading to start new works and to, to strengthen the churches that are, that are already there. And over the last several years, we have been looking particularly into the city of Buffalo. We have for many years existed in the suburban and rural parts of Western New York, but um, just recently had even one church in the city itself and so we are looking to both strengthen that church and start new ones. Um, you are supporting that work. Steve and Ruth Strand, who are former staff members here at this church and former missionaries and pastors, um, are, have moved last fall into the west side of Buffalo, particularly to work with the refugee community that is moving into Buffalo by the thousands and to, to try to work with the churches. There are many other ministries that are providing for healthcare, providing for jobs, providing for housing needs. Um, but Steve and Ruth are particularly working with this refugee community and churches. Two, two neat examples to just illustrate what Steve has been doing that I've had conversations. One with a, a, a young Congolese man in his early 20s that is feeling like God is calling him into pastoral ministry. He, he has a bachelor's degree in social work, has been working as a translator in the city, but God is calling him to, to pastor. And it's, it's wonderful to see Steve become a spiritual mentor to him and to, to develop that. I don't know if this will become a Westland work or not, but it, it certainly is, is benefiting from Steve's leadership. And I believe we'll see a, a church starting in that. Another was more preliminary discussions, but Steve attended a, an Ethiopian Gathering, I think it was after Easter, uh, maybe it's their, their Easter service. And uh, they're corresponding with Steve to try to figure out how they can network and find, trying to find, find out how the, it works with uh, becoming a part of a denomination or getting additional training for their pastors. And so it's wonderful to see just um, the, the church being nurtured or maybe new churches, new works being started. Another work that we're just starting, actually it hasn't really become a church yet in the sense that it meets weekly, is the Anchor Church. 
Uh, Stephen Lindsay Johnson had been a youth pastor at a couple churches, one in West Seneca and then our church in Hamburg, and felt the Lord calling them to start a, a, a new church, particularly working with, with young families in the, north, uh, the neighborhood of North Buffalo, all Turtle Avenue. And so they have bought a house. They've sort of networked in that area. They, they've developed a relationship with the owner of a coffee shop and are, are looking to start what will become Anchor Church, which hopefully will be our 36th church in, uh, in the district. And so we are excited to see good things happening there. Uh, as we look around, there's a couple other exciting things this year. Uh, the Western Church of Hamburg started something that was new for us. Several other districts have, have seen this happen, but where a large church would start a satellite campus, which is a sort of under the leadership of the church and under the board and, and authority of that church, but, but uh, 15, 20 minutes away, they start a new campus. And so Western Church of Hamburg started one in, in South Creek, which is in the Eden uh, Lakeview area. And uh, it's been exciting to see the church has been averaging about 300 in its first year. And uh, though maybe 100, 150 of those left uh, the main campus uh, to help start this, they've almost recovered, you know, as far as they're continuing to grow to make up for those that left to start this new church. So God is, is working in, in many ways. I, I could go on and on with different stories of how God is working. But thank you for your support for several of these projects, many of these projects. And for your prayers, I think as we, as we know of churches that are struggling or churches that are just getting started, the mature, the, the, the established churches in the district can, can pray for them. They can uh, encourage their pastors and, and even we see lay people encouraging other lay people that just say, here's how God has been working and here's how we would like to help. So thank you for your support in, in many ways uh, throughout our district. The passage is read this, this morning was from Hebrews chapter 12. The book of Hebrews is, has, is written to not one particular church in a particular city, like Romans was written to the church in Rome that would be sort of broad spectrum of the Christians in Rome. This was written to those that were from Jewish lineage. And, and you can take from that that this was a more established, uh, because that's where the, the church started on the day of Pentecost, Probably more traditional in its in its uh, in its nature, and the, it, we also know from the context of the book itself, this is a church that was going through hard struggles. In in this, they had been believers longer than maybe some of the newer churches that that Paul had written to, and this was one that had gone maybe decades and was starting to get tired. Was starting to to run on fumes. We also know that they were being persecuted. Maybe it was a economic persecution. If you look to chapter 10, you see stuff had been taken from them. Some had been thrown in prison. There's, there's different struggles. But particularly when you get to chapter 12, the, the message is, is this, keep on running. We've been given a task to run a race. If you look at the Christian life as a race, and don't stop. Several times it says, don't lose heart, don't give up, don't grow weary, persevere. It is addressing people who are already running and emphasizing this importance of running with perseverance. As I look at the church today, particularly as I travel to different established churches, churches that have been in existence 50, 100 years, 150 years some, I see that there are people in the church that 
have grown weary and are in danger of losing heart. Now, when I look at this practically, I don't mean by losing heart or growing weary that, that you're abandoning the faith, that you're renouncing Jesus and saying, I'm no longer a follower of Christ. That Occasionally, I do see that, but that's more likely this is addressing people who are still coming to the church, still saying, I follow Jesus, but have subtly made the statement, I've gone far enough. I'm not going to keep growing. I'm not going to keep running. And God is challenging you. No matter how long you've been running, no matter where you are in this race, not to give up, not to stop persevering, but to go forward. To consider that this next year, this next day, is, is important for God to be able to do in your life exactly what he wants to do without restrictions, without, without disconnection from his spirit to change you into the person that he wants you to be tomorrow and the day after that. And so as I read this, this chapter and have studied it, I think we are given three hindrances that we're to overcome. Three, three things that can stumble us, keep, that can cause us to stumble on this, on this race. And then we're challenged. Here is the challenge to persevere. The first is disobedience. To run the race, we, we must run it with faith. It starts off by saying that we are, uh, we have this cloud of witnesses. And if you look at chapter 12 here, it's referring in the first, first verse to the previous chapter, chapter 11, in which it lists that, that great heroes of the faith that have, have lived, like Abraham and all these people, Noah, that just did what God told them to do, even though they didn't understand what was going to happen. They just kept persevering. And he says, this is the faith. And we have this great cloud of witnesses that is telling us when God challenges you to do something, do it. Even if you don't know why he's telling you to do it, even if you, you think you know better, keep doing it because we have to have that faith. And faith is a trust in God. And really, it, it doesn't become real until we trust God to do what he asked us to do, even when it seems different than what we think we ought to do. And as long as God's telling us stuff that we would do without God, that's not really trust. It's not really obedience. It's just doing what we want to do. God is saying, trust. Let God be the one that determines the course. It begins with this passage by saying, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses challenging us faith, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. This issue of trust must come to the point of obedience. Now, when it talks about the, the, the weight that hinders, that throw off everything that hinders, it's really talking about just a burden of weight that's on your back. And if you can imagine running that race for a short time, you can carry a backpack, you can carry, you know, luggage, whatever you want to carry. But if you're planning to run this for miles, you're going to try to get to as light as you can. And God knows that the race, that, what lies ahead of us in this race. And he's saying, There's, there are things that you are carrying 
that you need to unload. You need to discard. I wonder if he's thinking of possessions here, if he's thinking of just things that consume our time. It could be either or all. But there are things that God tells us to get rid of. And it's not just for who we are giving them to or for the purpose of you know, the, the living simply or something like that. It's for the idea that down the road you will be glad that you did not carry that weight. The second part is the sin that so easily entangles. And this is things that are, are they're keeping us from doing what God is calling us to do. Addictions. Things that are hindering you from, from fully engaging with God in this, in this spiritual progression he wants us to have. I imagine each of us can think of things that, that if we didn't have in our lives, we would probably spend more time in prayer, spend more time reading the word, spend more time living the life that God's called us to live. And But you also say, but I can, I can still be a Christian and do these things. And perhaps that's the case, that, that the trust, the obedience is, is listening to God when he says, get rid of the things that are entangling your feet. The race will be so much easier, so much better run if you'll listen to me on this. We, in our arrogance, will say, no, God, I can, I can do that. I can, I can manage both. I can hold on to these sort of things that I know are not the best for me, but they're, they're not blatantly wrong. We're not legalistic about this. I can still do it. And, and it comes down not to legalism, but it comes down to trust. If God is telling you to get rid of these things that are entangling your walk, will you obey him? When our kids were small, we loved to go camping. And at first our camping was was more or less just packing everything into the minivan and backing up to a, a campfire, setting up a tent, but all within 20 feet of the van. So we had everything we needed. We had the, all the groceries. We, if we needed, we had electricity coming from the van. If, if it got too bad, we could always just hop in the van and keep dry and start the engine and keep warm. And it was, it was that very marginal level of camping, you know. As a, but as the kids got a little older, we, we decided we'd be a little more adventurous. And one, one summer... We decided we were going to go camping at the beach. We lived in North Carolina then. And, and I went online and said, what's the prettiest beach in North Carolina? And it said, Hammocks Beach. And it's, it's, the pictures of it were amazing. And, and so we said, let's, let's go. And there was actually another family went with us. And we were, we we're going to go camping at Hammocks Beach. And so we, we packed this. We actually talked to a guy that had been there before. And, and the one word of advice, he says, is pack light. You don't, you don't want to carry too much out there. It's a long hike out there. Now, we didn't know how to pack light. We had always packed in the, in the minivan. Like we had everything but the kitchen sink. We had everything we could possibly need. And, and the first aid kit and the, 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 the Coleman stove, we had plenty of groceries and extra bottles of water, all this other stuff that we might need. And so we said, no, we'll be all right. We're going to just, we can do this. Now, we realized that there was a hike in and it was more than we could carry on our backpacks. And our kids were too small to really carry stuff at this time. And so I said, well, I'm going to, put it, and, and in my mind, this was a genius idea. I'm going to put it in one of those luggage carriers that, that sits on top of a car. We could fit it all in there and put it on this luggage carrier. We'll carry the luggage carrier out. Now, I know that was going to be tough. So I said, let's put it on one of the kids' wagons. And so we, we, had, we packed the wagon. We packed the luggage carrier. We pulled it out. We came to the beach and we came to the, the state park. 
And the first quarter mile was no problem. It's sort of a paved path. Everything was like great. And then we got to the boat and the ferry was going to take us across the intercoastal waterway. And the ranger, the first time we met a ranger, and he just looked at us and said, are you sure you want to carry all that? Are you sure you want to take that? And I, again, I was still pretty confident. We, we can do this. this we, we know what we need. We'd, we'd been camping many times. And so it was my unwillingness to listen to advice that I look back on this and say, that, that just kept, I kept blowing through these red flags. So I got on the boat, and I think he laughed at us. He probably came home and told his wife about this, this, this crazy people that did this luggage carriers thing. So we got on the other side, and we unpacked. We, we were all right. It was, it was packed sand to go up, up this little dune, and uh, we got to the top. It was another half-mile hike. We got to the top, and it was a beautiful view. We could see the beach. We could see you know, a couple miles either direction. It was just, it was gorgeous. But on the other side of that little dune, as we started going down towards the ocean, it was another half mile or so, the, the sand was loose and it got looser and looser. And so the wagon got deeper in the sand. It started to not, it was hard to pull. And so we got down to the, to the beach and, and, and they said, well, your, your campsite's about a mile this way. And... And this was a hot day. I, I told the story before my wife was saying, you didn't emphasize how hot it was. This was over 100 degrees. And we were pulling this. And, and so we pulled this on the loose beach and the, the wagon did no good. I don't know how we made it. We, we finally, probably about 45 minutes to an hour later, got to our campsite. We were sweating. I was ready to throw the whole luggage carrier in the ocean and just go home. It was just, but we finally made it. We, it, was, it was hot and through the whole thing that we took so much that the, the event we look back on not as pleasurable, but as extremely uncomfortable. God is sometimes warning us. There are things that you don't need in your life. And you can say, I can do it. I can, you, can, you can pretend to know better than God what you can handle. But this issue of obedience will trip you up. And I'm not saying that you, you have to be legalistic and do everything that anyone says you shouldn't do, but you should do whatever the Holy Spirit says you shouldn't do. You should not do what the Holy Spirit says you shouldn't, shouldn't do, and you should do what he says to do. And when he says, get rid of the weight, throw off the weight, and get rid of those sins that entangle you, take that seriously, for the race is going to be dependent upon it. And many people are tripped up because they are not obedient on the little things. And you get to the point you say, I can't run anymore. And you may even be angry with God. God, why is it so hard to run? Why is it so hot out here? Listen to God today. What is he telling you? The second thing that I believe we, we get tripped up on, first is disobedience and trust. The second is discouragement. The race is a long race. I imagine when, when you first became a Christian, there was a, an enthusiasm about this. You had been, the, the burden of your sin and, and that sort of separation distance from God had been so removed from you that you're just like, I feel free. I, you were excited. You love spending time in the word. You love going to church and, and you were learning new things about Jesus. You're learning new things about the Bible. Every day was just an adventure. And, and you thought this is the way life is going to be as a Christian. 
And, and if, if the God who made the universe has started this relationship with grace and forgiveness and all these wonderful things, why wouldn't he make every day of your life just as, as joyful and happy as it could possibly be until you die and go to heaven and then it gets even better? I mean, we can just, I think it's reasonable to expect those kind of things, but that's not what the Bible presents as the Christian life. And those who have been living the Christian life know that's not reality either. There are days which become difficult. Well, that's actually the third point is the trials, but the time of running requires perseverance. It requires continuing to run even when maybe that that adrenaline is not there as it was at the start of the race. When it becomes routine even to read your Bible, which first was just a source of knowledge and, and hope and life. It still is, but, but sometimes it just becomes dull. What does this passage say to us for that? Verse 2, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. People, we need to be prepared for a long race. It's not as though it's a fixed race that you, you run a mile and then you're done and then it's all glorious. You'll keep running and tomorrow run again. And if the Lord doesn't return the day after that, run again and continue running. And the danger is to become just a religious activity. But the solution is to keep your eyes on Jesus. This is not a a religion. Even coming to church on Sunday morning is not just so I've done my religious duty. It's one of the things I have to do in order to be a Christian. And whether you fall asleep in the service or not, you've done it and you can leave thinking I've done my religious duty. The same can be with your reading the Bible. You can read it when you first wake up or maybe when you go to bed. And you may read a chapter, may read through your one-year Bible, however you do that with discipline. And it can be just, I've checked it off. The Bible doesn't speak of those kind of encounters with God. It speaks of fixing your eyes on Jesus. Abide in me. It is relational. It is, it is connecting with the God who, who wants to be so intimate with you. And one of the things we see when we fix our eyes on Jesus is that he went through hardship. He went through what we're going through. He went through the struggles but fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the first and last of your faith. He is the one who, who was there at the beginning, the pioneer, the, the author, different ways that this, this, this chapter expresses it. He is the perfecter. He is the one that is continuing to shape you. And he's the one that will be there at the end. In that sense, he is the, the aspiration of our run is that we'll finish the race and fall into the arms of Jesus. And hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Persevere means continuing to run through those long, difficult days by focusing on Jesus, by keeping faith personal, not with an institution, but with a person. Not with a doctrine, as much as important as that is, but 
with the author of our faith. He is the living word. The third thing that can trip us up are our difficulties, our trials. Maybe you can think of someone that had been living a good life and even a religious life, Christian life, and something happened in their life that just threw them for a loop. Uh, I, I knew one lady whose his child died, and they, they prayed for months for this child to be healed, for them to restore, and it didn't happen. We don't understand that. I've known others that have lost jobs, who have, who have gone through just painful difficulties. And in the midst of that, we can... We can shake our fists either at other people and say, well, why are you making me do this? Why is this happening? Or even with faith, we can say, well, God is allowing this to happen. And we can shake our fists at God and say, God, this is not right. But God is telling us to accept these hardships, even as discipline. Look to verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. For God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by the Father? And later on it says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now this was written to believers who had suffered greatly. Again, look back to chapter 10, verses 32 and following, and you see some of the pain they had experienced. Experience. They had been thrown in prison or their friends, family members had been imprisoned. Some had been killed. Many of their possessions had been taken from them. They, they had been made the bottom of their social strata. Why? God is saying that he is using these hardships. I don't think God brings it all on us, but he can use it for good and if we know that God is in control that it's not that God has somehow fallen asleep at the at the switch and is no longer paying attention to us but he is he is very actively concerned say well we'll we'll let this happen but not that it's sort of how God was with Job in his sufferings so I'll let you do this but not that and and God is still very much in control of what comes at us he can use everything that comes at us for the purpose of of making us into the people he wants us to be. There are pains that are extremely difficult to go through that because we understand that this is just a part of the process we can endure. Now, I'm, I, I've sat with my, my wife who, um, we have three children. So through the childbirth of those three children, I, I get an idea of how, painful it is and if, if Mary Beth were up here today, it's even more painful than that so whatever we, we understand that one of the most painful processes that people go through as far as physical pain is childbirth and yet after that birth there is joy there's, there's laughter there's, there's looking back on that saying it was so worth it for this baby is in my arms and for the husband, for the dad it's well worth it for the mom it's maybe a little less worth it but it's still worth it but can you imagine that same level of pain that same level of I mean it would be torture 
if this were done to a person out of anger or abuse, they would be scarred for life. They would still be in counseling 20 years later about this, this terrible thing that happened to them. What is the One is we understand why we had to go through that, and the other is complete baffled, or even the anger was part of the hurt. So when this scripture says, endure hardship as discipline, what it's saying, go through whatever trial you are going through today as if God had, had sent it your way for, the, for this express purpose of making you into the person he created you to become. It doesn't alleviate the pain as far as the physical pain, the, the financial pain, the what, whatever we are going through. It doesn't always heal the cancer, although I believe God can heal. But sometimes when he doesn't, there is still a purpose that is being accomplished that one day we'll look back on and say, God knew exactly what he was doing. He was making me into the person he created me to be. And living life every day just with joy, with no troubles, with no stress, with no, no problems will not accomplish what God wants to accomplish. But sometimes taking us through that discipline. And every father knows what, every parent knows what that means when you're raising a child. Taking them through these times of discipline will shape them into the people they need to become. God is doing that for us. We often play the victim. We get mad at the people. We get mad at God. And God is saying, let me work in you. For this race is going to be difficult. But every day you're becoming in better shape. You're becoming lean. You're becoming stronger. You're becoming this person that I need you to be. For we don't even know what, what further trials, what what." Steeper hills are, are ahead of us in this race, but we will keep running and God will whip us into shape if we will become his servants, his subjects. Then God, do in me whatever you want to do. Create in me whatever characteristic you want to create. I've heard people say, never pray for patience. And why? why? Because the way God develops patience is through Struggles, right? But patience is good. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. And if God, if you want to take me through struggles in order to make me patient, if you want to take me through hardship in order to make me more compassionate, if you want to put me through loss in order that I may be more humble, I trust that you know what is best for me more than I know. God is working us to produce what this passage describes us as holiness, Christ-likeness, having that characteristic that he wants us to have. C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, he tells a story in one of the books. It's the book that's The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And Eustace, the young boy, had turned from a boy into a dragon, and I won't go into the detail, but uh, as part of this process of him being a dragon, a band that was around his arm had now become a a very painful uh, shackle on him. 
and he was crying out for help. And, and Aslan, who was the, the lion who represented the figure of God in this story, um, took him on a walk to soothe his arm. He came to a, a spring, a body of water that's fed by a spring. And Aslan told the dragon, Eustace, to, to undress. Now, Eustace looked at himself and said, the dragon doesn't have clothes. What, do you, what does he mean? He, he saw the, the layers of skin, the, sh- the scales of the skin. And he started picking at that and realized that this was new to him. But he said, this is almost like a snake skin that I can sort of pull off. So at first, Eustace sort of pulled off and he, he took a whole layer of his skin off and put it on the ground. And he started to go into the water and he realized that the layer under it was just as hard and crusty as the first one. And he picked at it again and, and put it off and started to go. And three times he, he tried to get his, this, this skin off, this dragon skin off. But underneath was just another layer of dragon skin. And as Aslan said to him, he said, you'll have to let me do it. Let me read a part of what follows. It says, I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now, so I just lay flat down and let him do it. The first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peeled off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I had done myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much more thicker, so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't much like that for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on. And he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I had turned into a boy again. God's discipline is painful. The process of restoring us is not without its trials. But that is the race that we are running. The Wesleyan Church has used the phrase being made new. Describe this process of what God does in a believer. Now, when we think of new, we think of that which is coming off the factory floor. I mean, when you buy a new car, this is best, the best it can ever be is when it, when it drives off that lot. And after that, you, you spill a milkshake in the back seat, or your kids do, or you, you have a dent of a rock that flies up and hits the windshield, or, or salt rusts the fenders, and, and more and more the, the car becomes less and less perfect, less and less new. And we think that that's just the process that people go through. But in this race, God is reversing that in our souls. 
that while the, the body is growing weaker, we are, our eyes are growing more difficult to see, our, our muscles are getting a little more difficult to run, while we, we get the things physically seems to be diminishing, but God is restoring our soul step by step into the person that he created us to be. We are being made new. The challenge is for us to keep running. It's not always easy. It's much easier to give up. Just sit in the pew, come on Sundays and read your Bible. But God has some exciting work for us. He's challenging the church to be the living body of Christ. Doing what he is excited to be doing in this community. And we need his power. We need to be obedient. We need to keep on running. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, there's some here that are dealing with disobedience and need faith to to trust you, to put that aside, to cast off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. They won't run the race well until they learn to trust you. There's some this morning that are dealing with discouragement. It's just gotten to be a long race. They need a fresh vision of God. They need to cast their eyes on Jesus. Fix their gaze Lord, help us to not look at other people to compare ourselves to them or to to try to live up to their expectations or their examples, but let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and to do everything we do for, for you, not for people. There are some that are going through some very difficult times. I'm always amazed when I go to a church and you start to hear in their prayer time all the different struggles that people are going, going through. And I know that this community has had its share. But may we look to you and even when we don't understand how you can possibly use the struggles for good, let us trust that you will. If we'll endure the hardship as from a loving hand. And Lord, even let us say we are yours. Do in us whatever you want to do to make us your people, your church, your body. For nothing is more important than that. Help us to keep running the race with perseverance. Empower us so that we will not grow weary. Strengthen us so that we will not lose heart. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together.
The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.